0: Welcome to Wind Up Weekly.
1: I'm Matthew Gorn.
0: And I'm Katie Canfield.
1: And we're here to share the week's news in wine.
0: This week on Wind Up Weekly. Spirit sales see massive increases in 2020, especially in the USA. But hospitality industry struggles.
1: Export news. in exports to Japan. Australian exports to China fall by 98%.
0: Wine ban in South Africa challenged and then lifted.
1: Uber buys Drittley for $1.1 billion.
0: WSET suspends teaching in China.
1: No monks at Ackle, no longer a Trappist brewery.
0: Do tannins protect us from COVID?
1: And as ever, our wine of the week.
0: So quite a few headlines this week, and partly because uh, we didn't end up recording our wind up last week. Both Matthew and I have found ourselves quite busy, though that's no excuse. I know you are loyal listeners, Uh, look forward to your uh, weekly wind up every Wednesday, uh, so we won't let you down again.
1: Yes, we can only apologize, but a lot of work goes into this podcast and when we have other projects as well, it's hard to um, give all our full attention to the podcast and that's what we absolutely have to do. We don't want to do this half-hearted. So you're getting two weeks of uh, news uh, this week. So two for the price of one. And excitingly, Katie, during this this period. California has kind of reopened. I think we commented on that a couple of weeks ago. And we've actually been to a bar in that period, despite our busy schedule.
0: Yes, that's true. That we shouldn't really admit that, Matthew, that we made time for that and not the podcast. Um, but yes, we did report that uh, California did reopen uh, some bars and restaurants. However, it was a slow rollout, uh, mostly because restaurants just weren't prepared. It was uh, some pretty surprise news. Uh, but now uh, restaurants are kind of getting things together and getting their staff back in place uh, so that they can accommodate some outdoor dining.
1: The news continues to generate controversy that businesses are allowed to reopen. It's partly because it's so unexpected and partly because it's inconsistent with California's policy over the last few months. But I think it makes complete sense because numbers are falling, but also outdoor dining, I don't think is responsible for the spread of COVID. It's more the indoor gatherings which have been Uh, ...generated because of outdoor dining being banned. So I think we're back in a bit more of a normal situation... ...though indoor dining is still not allowed, I think wisely. And as you say, some restaurants just aren't opened. The Girl and the Fig, which is just around the corner from our office... And still not open for outdoor dining, just for takeout. So it's still a slow rollout.
0: Well, that's right. And I think restaurants uh, kind of learned their lesson late last year uh, when, you know, suddenly they had to close again after setting up all of the precautions and setting up their uh, outdoor spaces uh, to head into the winter to make it nice and comfortable for their patrons. Um, Then they were forced to close their doors. So I'm sure they're a little untrustworthy of how long this opening is going to last. But hopefully it will. And now, on with the news. One of the world's biggest global spirits giants, Diageo, announced that in the last six months of 2020, sales rose by 1%. That may not seem much, but it's significantly good news given the COVID pandemic. As ever, the figures were mixed. Sales in North America were up by 12%, but Europe and Turkey were down by 10%. Africa remained the same. Latin America and Pacific Asia sales were slightly down, but Australia and China saw increases similar to North America. Tequila as the big winner in these figures, with Don Julio up by 55% in the U.S. and Casamigos up by 137%. In contrast, Scotch declined by 8%, in part because so much is sold through duty-free. For example, Johnny Walker. Gin sales increased by 6%, while vodka remained flat.
1: These figures tie in with news of spirit sales soaring in the US. The spirit sector saw an increase in sales of 7.7% in 2020 despite the pandemic, due to a rise in at-home drinking. And people were trading up. While value rose by 7.7% to $31.2 billion, volume was up by 5.3%. Overall, alcohol sales rose by 3%. US whiskey rose by 8.2% to $4.3 billion, with rice seeing a particularly significant increase of 16.9%. Tequila and mezcal rose by 17.4%, cognac by 21.3%, and scotch by 37%. Pre-mix cocktails also rose, by 39%. It's unlikely these figures will continue at this pace, as many consumers were probably stocking up for the pandemic, but maybe the trend for drinking higher quality spirits at home will continue.
0: Well, yes, let's hope so. And on a less positive note, in contrast to the rise in in home drinking, the hospitality industry has been struggling greatly. It has been estimated that the UK hospitality industry saw sales fall from £133.5 billion in 2019 to £61.7 billion in 2020. The final three months of 2020, when sales are generally at their highest, were just £14.3 billion. A decrease of 57%.
1: Also in Diageo-related news, Moet Hennessy, as part of the Moet Hennessy Louis Vuitton group, paid Diageo a disputed £161 million dividend owed since the end of 2019 due to Diageo's 34% holdings in LVMH. Diageo had threatened to open arbitration proceedings due to the failed payment, but Moet Tennessee paid half of it in October and has agreed to pay the remainder. It's not sure why Moet Tennessee was failing to pay the dividend payments, given the company is worth €250 billion euros and was recently able to acquire Tiffany's for €14 billion. Euros. So they have plenty of cash for sure, don't they? Because they have so many eggs in so many baskets. There's a lot of um, financial figures to digest there, Katie. Um, Some up, some down, some positive, some negative. Kind of all over the place, the drinks and hospitality industry this year.
0: Well, as we've been saying, and I think it's no news for uh, people in the industry, is that people are still buying wine and buying spirits, uh, though they're drinking it at home. So, you know, the rise of e-commerce, uh, wineries are really trying to up their game with DTC, uh, make sure their email marketing campaigns are on point. Social media, of course, plays into that as well. Reaching the consumer directly rather than having to go through these wholesale channels, uh, which in the US in particular is uh, can be quite complicated.
1: Yes, as we've discussed over the last year, just interesting to see how these trends develop and continue uh, being beyond the pandemic. But uh, we've seen that bars and restaurants outdoors have been relatively busy, but I think a lot of people are happy just to to stay at home now.
0: Well, and when you think about what percent capacity these restaurants are operating at, they may seem busy, but they're running at 25% capacity. If you're looking at that over the course of a few months or a year, as we're coming up on now, uh, that can really start to hurt a business. So hopefully uh, the hospitality industry uh, will be able to bounce back, but I think it's going to be a long road ahead.
1: The listener will know of the strife between China and Australia, which has seen China impose massive tariffs of up to over 200% on Australian wine. Which makes the 25% tariffs on European wines seem quite minimal. Over the last few years, China has been an integral market for Australian wines. So these tariffs were seen to be a massive blow to the industry, and this week saw clear evidence of the impact of the tariffs as exports of wine to China fell by 98% from 162 million US dollars in October to 4 million US dollars in December. Meanwhile, in Japan, the overall level of wine imported into the country fell by 7% in 2020. This was across the board, although Chile was the only country to see a rise in wine exported to Japan by 4%. This fall in imported wine was most likely because of COVID-19 and social distancing, although Japan has remained relatively more open than many other countries. But sales of wine in restaurants has not been replaced by at-home drinking, as we've seen in the spirits sector, and particularly in the US. So Katie, it would seem that Chile is the the great beneficiary of um, the Asian market right now, because it's always had a favorable deal with China. Now that Australia has been wiped out, Chile now have a a stranglehold on that country, and then sales rising in Japan as well.
0: Well, That's where free trade agreements always come in handy. Um, We here in the US are hoping to have more of those with our new president in place. And we can see again and again where in the places that free trade agreements don't exist, uh, as in the case of our dear friends in the UK uh, with Brexit, they can cause many issues and lots of delays and obviously going to discourage uh, trade from happenings and decreased exports.
1: For an insight into what's happening in the UK, I would recommend going to thebuyer.net and reading um, the 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 breakdown of all the paperwork that importers now have to fill in, it sounds like a bureaucratic nightmare. And the irony with Brexit, it is supposed to reduce red tape. And of course, it has increased it massively. And I think the UK wine industry is really going to struggle.
0: We'll have to link that article uh, in the description of the pod.
1: And we're going to have to see how Australia deals with this massive market. Just This is a huge downturn, 98%, huge loss in revenue. Maybe it will be resolved and Australia can get back into China But it must be a huge headache for those producers.
0: As if they didn't have enough to deal with as it is. Finally, some good news from South Africa. Wine body Vinpro last week wrote an open letter calling for the ban on alcohol sales to be lifted and its intention to challenge the government's ban. The letter described the impact on the ban on agriculture and the wine industry, pointing to the huge amount of stock that wineries are unable to sell or even store. The pod doesn't know if the letter had a direct effect, but on Tuesday, the president, Cyril Ramaphosa announced that the ban had been lifted. There are still restrictions, however. Off-premise sales are limited to Monday to Thursday from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m., while on-premise sales are open from 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. throughout the week. So very welcome news for our friends in South Africa. They've had some recovering to do after a very difficult 2020.
1: Extremely difficult. We've commented on this quite a lot over the course of the last um, 12 months, how restrictions on sales of South African wine and even on exports have really hurt the industry. So uh, re-listen to some old podcasts for those facts and figures on how South African wine has been hurt. But at last, they can actually sell wine and other alcohol, which I think is a very sensible move. Boston-based drinks delivery service Drizzly has been bought by Uber for $1.1 billion. Drizzly is an app which allows consumers to compare prices in local outlets and then order through the app. It is available in 1,400 cities across the USA as well as in Alberta, Canada. Uber will raise the money for the purchase through 90% stocks with the other 10% cash. Uber has also acquired in the last couple of years Postmates, a $2.5 billion deal for the food delivery service as well as Corner Shop a Latin American delivery service. However, Drizzly's cannabis delivery arm is not part of the Uber deal, although a future partnership has not been ruled out. So what do you make of this news, Katie? It's a huge deal, $1.1 billion.
0: A lot of money, and it's generated a a lot of buzz, uh, even outside of the the wine industry and the drinks industry. And what's interesting is that Given the situation with COVID and less people moving around, Uber is actually uh, really downsizing uh, their part of the business, which carts people around. So the Uber car uh, service has really not been doing well. However, their Uber Eats service has been doing very well. And this acquisition is only going to fuel that. Now, uh, if a customer wants to order a meal through Uber Eats, now they get to have a bottle of wine delivered with their meal. Sounds pretty enticing.
1: But do you actually know anyone who uses Drizzly? It's something that always comes up in search engines, but I've never actually used it or know anyone who uses it or actually what it does.
0: Well, now you're just sounding like a Californian. It is Boston-based, so yes, I think it's used more on the East Coast. And so I'm and I'm with you, I I haven't you know, we live in the same household. So I've used it about as much as you. Uh, However, I think it is, it's got to be popular. I've seen it come up time and time again. And I'm sure uh, that that Uber is going to benefit quite a bit by having uh, their this drizzly arm. Uh, So we'll see those might be some stocks to watch as well.
1: Yeah, they're definitely thinking of the future with online deliveries.
0: The WSET, the Wine and Spirits Education Trust, based in London with schools across the world, this week announced the suspension of all teaching in China. The reasons were not entirely clear, with announcements stating it was due to, quote, administrative issues. It has been reported that the WSET had failed to comply with China's education and NGO laws, though this has not been confirmed. The announcement went on to say that, quote, while we are working through these issues, we have been advised to recommend that APPs in China temporarily put their WSUT related activities on hold and advise their students accordingly. So this means that all courses and exams have to be suspended. That's big news, as as wine education, as with other educational institutions, has seen a difficult 2020, and China has always been a a big market. It's the third biggest for the WSET after the UK and the US, with over 18,000 students in 2019 and 2020. So what do you make of this, Matthew? Matthew?
1: Well, Hopefully this is just an administrative um, issue which will be quickly resolved through paperwork and making sure they have all the right forms signed. Another example of how the Chinese market is a big one but a tricky one. Clearly a very important market for the WSET. There are a lot of Chinese really interested in wine and increasing that interest and looking to do courses like WSETs to improve their knowledge of wine and that's important in terms of sales as well as um, more and more wine is sold there. Uh, So hopefully um, this issue will be resolved before long. We've covered quite a few different drinks in this week's pod. Not just wine, but spirits, and now beer. And it's depressing news from Belgium, where our favourite Trappist brewery has run out of monks to make the beer. To be certified a Trappist beer, there must be monks on site, even if they're not actually making the beer. But at Ackle, there have been no monks for six months and there's no sign of any replacements. However, beer will still be made under the authority of the Abbey of Vesmal, but Ackle will no longer be able to have the Trappist logo on the label. And that leaves just five Trappist breweries left. And now, here for my Flemish pronunciations. They are called Vesvillerten, Vesmal, Orval, Chimay, and Rochefort. There are only about 100 monks left in Belgium, calling into question the future of these breweries. But in brighter news, there has been an increase in Trappist breweries outside of Belgium, which I wasn't aware of. Zunderd in the Netherlands, Engelzell in Austria, Dispenser in the US, that's easier to pronounce, Dreyfantane in Italy, and Tint Meadow in the UK.
0: Well done on the pronunciation.
1: Well, we hope well done. So these Trappist breweries have always been a small operation, but they're very famous, especially breweries like Chimay and Orval and Westmalle.
0: I have appreciated many of those beers in pubs in my day.
1: Yeah, and very traditional with the the monastery connections. So it is a shame. And aqua was one of the smallest ones. I think maybe it's no surprise that that's. I think that's actually one of the youngest ones as well. I think it's only in the nineties. It was uh, certified as Trappist. So that's no surprise that it's not been able to survive, but hopefully the beer will remain really good quality because I mean, just because there's monks on site doesn't mean that the beer is any better than if they're not.
0: Well, and the big question as well is, will that deter consumers? Will, will fans of Ackle now jump ship just because they're not certified Trappist? Alright, hang in there listeners, we've got one news story left for you. Good news for U.S. red wine drinkers, as research from Taiwan claimed that tannins help protect drinkers from COVID-19. The research showed that tannins can inhibit the activity of two of the enzymes in the virus. Apparently, tannic acid is a water-soluble polyphenol, which has antioxidants and free radical scavengers, which are anti-inflammatory. This research goes back to 2003, when the same conclusion was drawn in relation to SARS, with tannins seen as preventing infection and controlling the growth of a virus. These tannins are not just limited to red wine, but are also found in bananas and tea. So this news takes me back to the 60 Minutes uh, French Paradox episode that broadcasted to the US uh, that drinking uh, red wine in moderation was actually good for you. I'm not sure that that still holds up, but here's another reason to keep drinking red wine, it seems.
1: Well, if this research is correct, then we're in a very good place. I'm not convinced, I have to say, given that people in the wine industry have contacted COVID-19, so it's not a complete deterrent. What I'm now going to describe tannins as is free radical scavengers. What a wonderful way to describe a red wine. That
0: was a really good descriptor. I like that. Well, I have to say the only... uh, The only part about this news that I'm disappointed with, that it's not champagne that cures COVID, uh, because we've certainly been drinking a lot of that uh, while in lockdown.
1: And although I don't drink tea, it's good news that um, the tannins in tea may be a preventative for COVID-19 because my mum drinks a lot of tea. And by a lot, I mean a lot.
0: And now for our wine of the week. Given our last news headline uh, that tannins uh, can actually protect us from COVID, uh, we've selected a red wine this week.
1: We have indeed, and a very fun wine, not an overly tannic wine, but there's still a nice tannic grip to it. It is from Savoie, the trendy region in the French Alps. The grape is Mondeuse, another trendy variety. Say it again. Mondeur's producer is Le Cavo Savoyard, which is actually the largest producer in Savoie, which doesn't really mean that much because they only own about 60, 65 hectares of land. And so it's still pretty small on the global scale.
0: Yes. So we've always uh, loved the wines of Savoie, though they're not very well known on a global scale, uh, pretty small production for most of these uh, producers. And, you know, they're a little bit remote as well up there in the Alps. I had the privilege of hosting a group of uh, of Savoy producers in New York City uh, a couple of years ago, and they're just they were an amazing group. Uh, we did a a media dinner uh, where you know all the producers had their wines and we paired them with food, and it was an extraordinary night. Um, the passion behind each and every one of those producers, the affinity for food of all of those wines, the racy whites, uh, the interesting reds. We love. Mondoos in our house, it's true.
1: Yes, and Mondoos is a variety um, local to Savoie, so there's a real kind of provenance there. Um, Pinot Noir and Gamay are also planted, which are extremely good, but they're more kind of universally planted elsewhere, whereas Mondoos is really um, native to the area, and it produces wines which are floral, pretty, perfumed, with tannins, but not too many tannins, and um, kind of a purplish colour, light-bodied. It is akin to Beaujolais, that would be my or even Loire Cabernet Franc, those would be my comparisons, but maybe more Beaujolais, because it's not that far away.
0: One of the crews, anyway.
1: Absolutely, and it's all about high altitude, and because they're in the foothills of the Alps, and that's really important, that's where you get the high acidity from, the alcohol's relatively low, it's about 12%, and um, that lighter-bodied, so it's really that kind of international trend for lighter-bodied red wines, which aren't too alcoholic, which is very popular right now.
0: And goes with so many different dishes. And cheese. Yeah. Lots of cheese. Raclette, anyone? Cheers to that. Thank you for hanging in there. It was a long episode today. We know uh, we won't leave you hanging next Wednesday. So please tune in and join us for another wind-up.
1: So much news to report and we're here to share it with you. So just leave us a comment, share our posts on Instagram. We always post every week to uh, promote our pod. And um, yeah, as Katie says. Thank you for listening and cheerio. Mm-hmm.